welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I am your host, Natalie Brown. Thanks for joining me as we dive into the topics of sound healing, sound therapy, and using sound for health and wellness. I appreciate all the feedback from the previous episode with Sylvia Nakash as we discussed devotion, devotion to sound and listening practices, and her devotion and exploration of sacred practices of using sound for healing. Today we talk with Mike Tamburo. Mike is a musician, an educator, an instrument builder, and a gong enthusiast. He's known as a multi-instrumentalist, and the list of instruments that he plays is extensive. He's recorded over 65 albums and is truly an explorer of sound. Mike has spent years of self-study through sound explorations on different instruments, but also through energy work, yoga, and the use of sound and how sound affects consciousness, perception, and self-healing. He tours extensively. He's performed with Crown of Eternity, which is with his wife, Galena, and he's currently on a solo tour across the States. We discuss his personal perspective, experiences, and journey through sound and listening. His understandings of space, time, music, and consciousness. And we also get a chance to discuss a big event coming up this year, the Gong Summit, which he will be presenting at and I will be attending. So please enjoy this conversation with Mike Tamburo. Well... I think where I want to get started as um, it kind of uh, perked my ears up when I, I heard you talking about this with Thomas or Anderson, um, because I actually, when I was younger, I had uh, ear problems, uh, hearing difficulties, um, ear infections. Uh, my mom couldn't figure out what was wrong. I had like 80% hearing loss when I was really, really young. Um, so a lot of that did that return or yes i had surgery i had tubes put in um i've had you know i've had ruptured eardrums um as as an adult yeah as an adult too yeah i had both both ruptured at one time so when did your ear trouble your hearing trouble start yeah it starts kind of pre-memory as as far as i understand or or, yeah i can't really I don't necessarily remember what it was like. I think that I remember my 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 third uh, set of tubes falling out. I don't remember the others. Um, you know, my mother told me that cried a lot, had all sorts of issues, wasn't you know talkative uh, when when uh, you know the children were talkative, and uh, and so you know I guess like you know three. Uh, before three, I had to have my adenoids taken out. Had lots of ear infections, uh, a lot of fluid. Um, I'm not sure like how much I was actually hearing or not hearing. I can't, I can't really remember. Uh, you know, I remember more like speech therapy. Uh, I remember my first ruptures, um, and not knowing what a rupture was, and just being in pain. Uh, a lot of sinus pain growing up, a lot of ear pain growing up. Um, 
and then it, you know, it started clearing up probably when I was, uh, I think I stopped getting ear infections probably around the time I was maybe like 10 or 11 or something like that. But I'd still get sinus infections. Uh, but then, you know, I've ruptured my eardrums, you know, numbers of times at this point, and, uh, and it's been almost 20 years since the last rupture, but, uh, that was pretty profound and, uh, difficult experience to get through. And, uh, you know, being kind of in a place where, you know, I've, I've just always loved music, you know, from, those are my earliest memories or like, you know, playing music or trying to play music or just messing around with music, <laughs> messing around with things that made sounds. Um, and so at that point, you know, I was, I was in my, my music career and, you know, definitely knocked me off track for a little bit. Uh, I think like I didn't play any concerts for maybe like six months. And then uh, a couple of years of depression after that. I think that's like the main thing because it's not just like ear pain that, uh, that comes up whenever you have like these types of problems, but there's kind of like a disconnection from, from the world. There's a little bit of vertigo. Uh, you know, there's pain. Like I've always gotten depressed like every single time I've had, you know, ear problems. Um, so I mean, I'm, 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 I take care of my ears as good as I can these days. Um, and I had my ears checked recently and, and they're really not that bad. Like I always knew that I had some issues around, uh, you know, 1500 Hertz to 3000 Hertz and that I just wasn't hearing that the same. I learned that in the recording studio, but, uh, now I just have people mix for me, <laughs> Yeah. you know, like, it, like I can hear the difference once it's there, but like, I don't have like the, the definition really in, in those highs. Um, but yeah, you know, I just hear the way I hear now, you know, like it's just like every day is, you know, what it is. It's, uh, you know, my version of the soundscape and, and how I process the soundscape is uniquely my own. And probably because I've gone through, you know, multiple ruptures and three rounds of tubes and adenoids removed and, you know, ear infection after ear infection and, you know, it, it, it's it's made my sense of, of uh, you know, the physicality of sound much more attuned. Uh, I would say it even brought me to a place where I started looking at, like, the mathematics of sound and, um, you know, maybe, like, more uh, intellectual pursuits you know, at times when I got having problems. So... You know, there's always a playfulness there at the same time. You know, like it's, it's, and I think there's more of an appreciation there because I actually know what it's like not to be able to hear. I, that was one of the things I was curious about that, you know, not that you would know it from anybody else's perspective because you hear the way you hear, you know. Um, yeah. But how do you think this uh, sensitivity with your hearing and your ears has affected? your your sound journey do you think that it's a more of a a deeper sensitivity to vibrations um more of attentive listening maybe you feel 
vibrations physically more? How do you think? Can yeah. you try to explain that? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it, yeah, it's kind of a part of my mythos almost. But uh, I, I, I would say that um, you know, the physical, the tangible sense of sound, um, you know, is, I'm very tuned into that. Uh, my body responds with, you know, almost like every sound that is in my soundscape. I mean, I assume that everybody's does, but maybe I'm more conscious of it. Um, and uh, really kind of conscious of, like, the environments I go into. I get overwhelmed by, uh, you know, lots of sounds happening at once. Like, being at restaurants is often kind of overwhelming. But, um, but you know, musically speaking, you know, like, I'm really able to follow the wave. Uh, I think physically, I think emotionally, uh, there's something that happens, like, once I'm inside, you know, whatever sound source I'm playing and, and, and my consciousness is riding it, it's like my whole being just really opens up to it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that made me a better improviser, made me a better listener. Um, you know, but not necessarily, not necessarily a conversational listener. Like, I'm still learning a lot about like, how to communicate. It hasn't necessarily made me a better communicator. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, my I've been trying to listen with like, more and more clarity, uh, you know, over the years. And, and, and just, like, you know, hear uh, entire timbres and, 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 and in some ways, like, you know, actually experience them in space uh so like you know i think that like i've kind of developed like a depth of sound um in terms of room and how sound is behaving in, in the room and uh and that's kind of interesting because I, I guess i assumed that everybody had uh had those types of experiences you know where it's like reverb is it's very real and you can almost like, you know, begin to pick up like distinctions between like what is the air and what is the wall and, and uh, you know, understanding like room modes and different things. Like sometimes like I can almost just like, I started teaching myself how to listen uh, you know, to what was happening in the instrument and how the sound was being expressed in the room. Uh, and so as I did that, like I'm, I'm kind of like able to bring my, my attention you know, to different aspects of the room and, 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 and you kind of understand how it's behaving. It's almost like if I had like a, a, a parabolic uh, microphone or something like that sometimes, like I just like kind of go like, well, what's happening in that corner? And, you know, I'm still hearing what's right in front of me, but like I am able to like bring my awareness to what's happening in different parts of the room. Um, and then, and then just, you know, understanding, you know, the main thing is like how is room behaving whenever I'm playing music in it? Or, uh, you know, and then how can they interact with that behavior? And, and, and I think, and I think that's like, you know, probably what I have learned the most from like you know, all my, 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 my ear problems is like, you know, how my consciousness is, is responding to, you know, whatever stimuli it's receiving. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, my music is, it's, uh, you know, often long, uh, long sounds that, uh, you know, kind of echo throughout the space or reverberate throughout the space. You know, space is definitely a, uh, a container that uh, that I'm working in. And so, 
seems like the longer a tone is, the more I'm able to understand how the frequencies are behaving and and uh, how they're interacting with the space, how they're interacting with you know bringing bodies into the space or listeners into the space. And uh, and I mean, like you know, I feel like I, I have some understanding of even even how those bodies and listeners are, are responding to the sound in the space. Um, you know, like I, I I sometimes feel like I can you know, tell a difference in the sound whenever somebody is like tensing up mm. or when they're relaxed. And, uh, you know, so often my dynamics kind of follow that. So you're, you're, I don't know if I yeah, absolutely. In <laughs> fact, when you were talking, I would have a question and you would instantly answering it. So just really tuning in, not only to the space, but how, the sound is affecting the space, the energy, the people in the room. And yeah, yeah, you mentioned kind of using sustained, long sustained overtones and tones from the instruments. And that gets me thinking of, so if you're, you're playing to the room, does it have a lot to do with the space in between that the fade at the end of the sustain of a note? Um, so, you know, kind of talking about, time um being very fluid in your performances oh yeah you know i i I will probably someday attempt to write a book about my thoughts on time uh but yeah i mean time you know the room affects time and and, uh vice versa um and, and i'm always like you know considering you know how long do i have uh you know, in terms of space, because I'm, I'm building up kind of these very slow polyphonic textures that, uh, you know, sort of work between if there is any type of beating happening between the instruments or um, how little beating there is between the instruments. And I sort of go uh, you know, back and forth between that. Uh, but, you know, some rooms will just suck up whole lot of the sound <laughs> you know they'll suck certain frequencies out of the sound or some rooms will you know accentuate certain frequencies and, you know that changes really how quickly i'm moving from one instrument to the other um i work with uh um you know, a lot of different instruments a lot of my my bells and my plates are um mathematically tuned um so you know i'm looking at you know, really kind of like extreme forms of, of, of confidence in many cases. And then like maybe like adding a certain uh, dissonance in there just to create maybe like a certain kind of, you know, rhythmic beating pattern. It's mostly existing just between two instruments. And not actually like, you know, the rhythms that I'm playing of the instruments. And, uh, you know, how that, I think, works in the room and I think even like how it's perceived has, has a lot to do with with the room, um, even in terms of um, you know which which modes or, or uh, which overtones are are interacting and oscillating together, and uh, very much how you know. So you know, I mean, there are even like spaces in the room, and uh, my set's very large, so I'm always moving, <laughs> and so that takes up another element of time. But there are like even spaces within my my cage, uh, my gong rack where 
you know, if my head is in one place, and I'll actually say this is always true. It's like my head is in one place, you know, that's what I'm hearing, but all these other instruments are sustaining. So, you know, my head can be turned, you know, four inches to the left or, or, or one inch to the right, and I'm going to make a completely different decision based on what I'm hearing in the space at that time. And, uh, you know, really, we, we mostly can only play to like what we're hearing, you know, it's, it's uh, at least that's me. That's my version of how I play. Uh, I'm not like, you know, guessing and you know, making thoughtful choices. And, uh, so yeah, space and time is super important. I, I think that's just been one of my major interests. And, uh, you know, when I was a little kid and I was taking piano lessons, I couldn't really, move my fingers fast enough and uh they're pretty short uh kind of stupid fingers i think whenever i was a kid like they they just didn't really like want to act independently from each other that's taken some some time and and even if you look at like you know like my styles of of playing music it's still like things that my hands can do uh my left hand has always been really slow on guitar um but anyway yeah my uh so we had an air organ and I, I pretty much would just like practice on that. I didn't have a piano. So the two weeks I was going to piano lessons, it was like I was playing on the air organ and just kind of like reaching things, like reaching different intervals that, uh, you know, my hands could reach. So like, you know, holding all the keys down or, or, uh, you know, a lot of like major seconds or, or minor seconds or, or, seconds and sevens so like i always like this beating i would just like you know hold down like b c and c sharp mm-hmm. <laughs> and just like listen to that like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and uh and i and i and i got a lot of joy in that and um you know like it seemed like i was entering into some interesting spaces of of consciousness even at an early age just you know, through listening to, you know, beating patterns happening over time. And, uh, you know, I think that that really had some kind of, you know, great inspiration, you know, like understanding how, like, consciousness changes over time, understanding how, you know, tone affects emotion over time, uh, understanding, you know, how sound behaves over time. Uh, you know, and I, I think that, like, a lot of people who don't play music don't necessarily consider time and in the same way that musicians do. You know, and, and, and I play Amber Dolphmer as well, so I play, like, you know, a lot of fast music on the Amber Dolphmer. You know, I'll play, like, you know, a lot of 16th notes and you know, sometimes 32nd notes if I'm showing off. And, and uh, you know, but then when I play the gong, you know, that's, like, very slow. You know, like, some of my gong strokes are, like, we would have, like, 100 beats in between you know, me striking an instrument and then me striking an instrument again. Um, so it's, 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 it's very different. And, and, you know, each instrument asks me to have a different relationship with time, uh, just you know, really based on you know, the palette I like from that instrument and how useful it is for me to, to work with that particular instrument for you know, whatever purpose I'm trying to convey or connect to. Is that kind of how your explorations developed? I know if anybody was to look up your name and the instruments you play, I mean, 
it's pretty much every stringed instrument in the world and <laughs> all the gongs and <laughs> you know how did that develop it sounds like you started piano really early on but yeah, I never got good at piano, and I quit. So, like, you know, like, that was the thing, I think, that I was I was kind of like a jack of all trades, but like a master of none. Hmm. Uh, but I think that's what taught me so much about music, was just, like, um, I, I'd say, like, my first training was really, the, the took was uh, clarinet and, and percussion. And uh, so I learned melody and, and uh, rhythm. And... Uh, I had some guitar lessons, but I didn't have a very good teacher. Um, you know, a lot of my music teachers, you know, it's funny, like, people ask me, like, you know, what is the most important thing about being a music teacher? And and, uh, and, I, and I say, you know, to not, you don't want to uninspire your students <laughs> from their love of music, you know? And, 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 and I think that's, like, really my only job is to, like, you know, direct and, and, and continue to play them someone's inspiration um and their sense of discovery um but you know when it, my parents whenever my 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 ears uh got better when i like you know first started becoming communicative and and uh talking you know i remember getting lots of you know weird little instruments you know like casio keyboards uh or even like you know cheaper than casio or pre-casio uh, little uh, you know, vibraphone, xylophone, or not vibraphone, but like xylophone type instruments, glockenspiel, um, horns, whistles, bells. Um, you know, there were like lots of just like sound makers around me, and uh, my dad got me a, a tape recorder when I was like five, and uh, you know, that was maybe like became like my favorite instrument. Hmm. And I would just go around and kind of like collect sounds and uh, you know, hear how different things sounded recorded, how different things sounded recorded. And, uh, and, you know, that was like pretty big for me, actually, just having the tape recorder and, and then learning how like bounce tracks, like when I, when I learned how to you know, bounce from one tape recorder to another. And uh, you know, this is before I got four tracks or eight tracks or a hmm. computer. Um, and my dad had a cool cassette deck and, and showed me how to bounce tracks. I think he showed me how to bounce tracks. Somebody did. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so it's always just kind of this playful exploration. And, uh, you know, I was really into the do-it-yourself music scenes that, uh, you know, were emerging in the 90s. And, uh, you know, it was almost like that, and you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, you know, which has like an interesting art and music scene that's you know, very much interconnected. And so I was exposed to to a whole lot of uh, of sound art and, and different ideas. So you know, I think early on I had this idea of like timbre being like really important. Like, you know, why were they using certain instruments, you know, for certain reasons you know, to evoke certain emotions or you know what does this sound like played on this instrument or, or played on that instrument so yeah i mean like you know i became a singer of a band when i was like 13 and, and you know like i was never really comfortable with my lyrics but uh that sort of picked things up and then i met uh, a musical partner who taught me a lot about music in high school 
and uh, was really a, a, a good teacher. And Chris Becker, uh, he wasn't really concerned with himself as a teacher, but I learned a lot about music because he was kind of able to play a lot of different instruments. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of absorbing it all. And so at that point, I was playing like drums, singing, and playing clarinet in this band. And uh, so the idea of playing like multiple instruments in a set, you know, that was very thin that when I was in high school. And, uh, you know, I got turned on to like, you know, a book called Experimental Music, Cage and Beyond by Michael Nyman. And uh, this was like kind of like my, my holy Bible for a while, uh, just in terms of like what was possible with music. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd seen a lot of experimental music. I'd you know, gone through punk rock and, and indie rock, um, you know. But whenever I saw what was possible... And, and, and understood certain ideas as almost like music could be philosophy or uh, or even you know, what impact music was having on the listener uh, or, or if one wanted to have any impact on the listener at all um, or even you know reading John Cage and, and really considering listening as a philosophical choice or uh, you know even calling Oliver and hearing that you know, music was a conscious choice or listening was a conscious choice or anything. Uh, yeah, those are all big, big things for me. And uh, a lot of times I just you know, started, you know, just having sounds in my head and I wasn't feeling comfortable with my lyrics, but like I would sort of just have like a repeating melody or, or like a melody that would change a little bit over time. And, uh, I would just kind of be like, well, what is that? And then I'd go to my four track and I you know, just had all sorts of instruments in my house, or sometimes I would hum it or you know, whatever I wanted to. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, I, everything always kind of goes back to my, my early days because there was so much experimenting when I was young. But, um, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh, you know, my early bands, the, the scene I was involved in uh, in terms of music, it was all really inspiring and, and really open. Uh, I mean, I guess that's the thing. Like, I've never really had, like, I remember people try to give me rules about music. I would just be like, well, watch me mm-hmm. do this, you know? And, and, and so I, I always had this understanding that, you know, whatever I, you know, wanted to create, I could. Uh, that there were not necessarily, maybe there were rules for other music, but, you know, the rules for my music were still being, uh, you know, written or, or or maybe there didn't really have to be rules uh, in the same way and uh, so I've always been open I don't play every string instrument I, 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 uh, I don't play cello or violin mm. uh, but I can play anything with frets mm-hmm. and uh, yeah percussion you know one of my records I think I play like 50, 50 instruments on or something like that mm-hmm. but again it's like you know jack of all trades yeah you know if anything, I've, 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 I've gotten like pretty proficient at hammer dulcimer over the years. Um, I was getting really good at, at guitar for a while, but my hands started acting weird, so I decided to change the way I was playing. And, uh, and, and that kind of changed my focus on guitar. Uh, and then the gongs, like, you know, they're sort of, uh, you know, like just like a, the, the great, uh, I don't know, it's like there's always something new to discover on a gong. 
you know, since I started getting into you know metal percussion, there's just been such self-discovery that's come along. Um, yeah, I have a lot of gratitude for that. But there's always you know something new to to hear or something new to discover. Um, you know, Pitts, Pittsburgh had a good Camelon orchestra, and uh, so like a lot of my exposure to Gong was was through you know watching Camelon. And, uh, so whenever I, I, and also like Pink Floyd, I, you know, I was really into Pink Floyd when I was young. And, uh, you know, so my ideas around the gong were, you know, somewhat, uh, orchestrative, you know, from the, from the very beginning, though I do improvise as well, but, um, you know, it just seemed like gongs work really well and, and, uh, in a collection. That it seemed like they worked really well as like you know like bass sounds whenever there were you know, maybe also higher metallic percussive percussive sounds um and so I think you know really from like the very beginning like i don't I don't think I really ever owned only one gong you know like when when I first got into gongs in the mid two thousands I was using them sort of like spacey drones in the background of uh some of my music. <clears throat> and then uh yeah, I don't know, it was like two thousand and uh nine and, and uh I was in the ceremony and, and I sort of got this message that I had to take the gun more seriously. And uh you know, it was sort of like maybe uh what more Yeshiva says, you know, like through like studying one thing you can study you know, the universe. And, 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 and I think that became, uh, you know, something like I really, you know, looked at the gong in a lot of different ways and met a lot of people who played the gong and, and you know, it's changed my life. I've seen it change a lot of people's lives and um, it's taught me about physics and it's taught me about, you know, tension. It's taught me about how metal behaves. It's taught me about, you know, the way a room behaves and there's many frequencies happening taught me about emotions, taught me about, you know, stress. I mean, like, it's almost like in any aspect of, uh, you know, if I, if I look close enough, you know, there's just like all of, all of this happening all at once, you know, I can, I can pick a lifetime to study, uh, you know, from what's happening with that instrument. So, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I love lots of different sounds. I have lots of different ideas. I don't want to ever do just one thing. And I think that, that would really, uh, that really bother me. And, uh, and, and I'm always, you know, trying something new. And, and, and uh, sometimes I fail, you know, I'm not afraid to fail as an improviser, as a musician. You know, like I, I'd rather try something and, and just see what it is. And, 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 and maybe it's not even like a failure if I don't have necessarily so much uh, attached to what what the conclusion is going to be other than just to see what it is. Yeah. But, uh, you know, certainly I charge money for my performances. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, whether or not uh, the listener is, 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 is with me the whole time, <clears throat> you know, sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. It always depends. Uh, I think most people have a hard time being in something for you know, 75 minutes, like the mind wanders and goes on little journeys. And, um, so, you know, I think that uh, 
for me, it's like so I'm always just in the state of exploration. And the listener comes along for it. Um, so you're you're on tour now. You're performing quite a bit. Um, yeah. And I saw a recent, I think just maybe yesterday or today, saw a picture of your setup, which is just magnificent. Um, can you tell us a bit more about what you use when you perform? And do you kind of start out with a plan or does, do you just, are you guided as far as what to play for that specific time in that specific room? Um, well, you know, I mean, there's certainly a plan in terms of what instrument I put, instruments I put out, um, you know, what, what goes on my, my instrument rack. Uh, also that I'll play hammer dulcimer. Um, I play hammer dulcimer at pretty much every concert. And, uh, so in hammer dulcimer, I have, you know, maybe a, uh, scale that I've been working with for a while, maybe a few scales I've been working with for a while and I, I have some parts and then I allow, uh, you know, myself to improvise a bit. And, um, yeah, so it's always different, but yeah, there are similarities. And, uh, that's maybe it becomes a little bit more composed as I'm touring. And I, I tend to like do longer tours for some reason. I don't know. I have some kind of need to be out in the world with people paying attention to me or something. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> but I, I, I tend to like go out for long periods of time. And, uh, and so, you know, piece of music changes and, and, and uh, even your, you know, your improvising changes. You know, I, I, I'd say like, if I'm playing the same instrument rack you know, for like six months, um, you know, how much am I really improvising at that point? But uh, but it's still always you know different. Um, I have a few parts that are written on the bells. I, uh, I do a lot of work with the pentatonic scale. And I like you know, doing various permutations of the pentatonic scale. Um, and, and some things I've just over the years found to be like really pleasing. Um, I end most of my concerts and with, with a, uh, very consonant piece that I just like a lot. And, and I, uh, I came up with it a few years back in like 2017. And, uh, and I was playing in the middle of the set back then. And like, once I really like nailed it, I was like, wow, this is like, you know, perfect coda. And, uh, it just makes me feel good. Like it sort of like, you know, reharmonizes me. Uh, after, you know, I've gone to so many different places and held space for so many people, you know, in, in, in their consciousness moving and, and, and our, our minds meeting and, and whatever way a listener and a musician's minds meet. And, uh, you know, so like I, I, I like this part at the end. Like it kind of brings me back and makes me, like it's kind of like, you know, healing for me. Uh, so, like, I'll, I'll, I'll keep playing it. Um, you know, the rest, uh, it's it's mostly improvised. You know, some of the stuff on the on the bells, like, I've really been working on to compose. But, uh, you know, in terms of, like, the, the, the gong, um, you know, mostly kind of following how it's behaving. I have certain gong combinations that I like to use. Um, yeah, so to, to, you know, enter back to you know, the original question, like I have, uh, there's a mixture of gongs, um, gong oblong, it's made by, uh, 
I, I, I actually haven't met him to know how to pronounce his last name, but I'll say Blase, uh, Kultar Sprung. Um, I, so I have some of his instruments that I've been like swapping in and out you know, for like the past four years or so. And, uh, and then I'm, I'm, I have some of, uh, Nikolai Lakovsky's Bilas, which are you know, essentially like the gong of long, but like a bell plate. And, um, I had him tune some of those for me to a, uh, pentatonic scale based on off of my sun gong. And, uh, so everything is like based off of 63. And then, um, and then I have, uh, these triangles that Martin had made for me that are in the same tuning as my, as my, uh, as my Bilas. And, uh, so those spin when I strike them. There's a lot of sense of movement in my playing, uh, and, and, and I use the Doppler effect a lot as I'm playing. Uh, so, you know, sound changes as it's moving. And, and uh, what else do I have? A lot of uh, tiny bells. I just added um, some gongs in the fifth octave, which, which are pretty small and pretty high for gongs. Uh, there's a little chow gongs. I also have uh, some gongs in the fourth octave. Um, that are also chow, a few winds in that, in that octave. Um, using a large 44 inch wind gong, a large 48 inch wind gong, uh, the Peisty Sun Gong, which, uh, most of my instruments are tuned off of that instrument. And then, uh, Minor Earth Gong, uh, 36 inch wind gong, a, uh, 32 inch chow gong, 32 inch Nibiru gong from Peisty. Um, and then I have some some plates that um, that Ryan Shelley made me, and, uh, a bunch of weird little things that Pisces made, like uh, spinning bells and things like that. Um, yeah, so it's like a little, you know, orchestra, I guess. You know, I, I'm playing around 50 instruments, and uh, not all at once. You know, I, I tend to move and work in themes. And, uh, you know, I think a lot about structure, um, you know, in terms of like you know, how a piece of music works, and mm-hmm. maybe how consciousness behaves or how my consciousness behaves when listening to a piece of music. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you find that you do stay or you have to stay very present when you're performing or do you yourself enter altered states um, when you're performing? I think it's both. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm definitely in an altered state. I mean, like, there are some performances where, like, I can't even, like, see by the end of the performance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but, uh, but at the same time, I'm very much, like, you know, aware of, you know, how the music is acting and, and, and my role is, is the doer. Um, but, you know, certainly my consciousness can be altered and, and that can be, you know, totally on with where, where I want to be. You know, it's not like I'm inebriated. It's not like I'm, you know, like I, I, I'm, it's almost like, uh, you know, I have a level of concentration that I think is, is so powerful that it, it, it alters, you know, my state of beings. Uh, the tune has been my, my concentration when I play is so strong that, like, you know, that people are getting altered by, by the field of energy that my concentration is creating. Um, you know, so, you know, I'm listening closely and, and um, you know, I'm playing with care. 
mainly that's 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 the main thing, and, and I think that uh, you know I, I, I allow myself to get vulnerable when I'm playing, I allow myself to be moved. Um, you know, a lot of people are just like, oh, I just let the gong do all the work, and you know, that's fine. But um, you know, there's something about working with with the ineffable that I think is really you know, powerful and and beautiful and and uh, and rewarding whenever no one can make conscious choices. Mm. How is that different when you collaborate with other people? I know you also perform with your wife, uh, with Crown of Eternity. How mm-hmm. how do you maneuver, or you know, when you're working with someone else, uh, when you're kind of working with space and time and these sustains and maybe they have an, a different impression. They're standing in a different place. Their consciousness is perhaps altered in a, a different way than yours. What is it like to collaborate with someone else? Are you finely tuned with that person? Um, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> some, days it's, some days it's different than others. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every musician is bringing in what they're, what they're bringing in. Uh, you know, Galena and I taught each other a lot about listening and working with these instruments. Um, I think early on I was too loud a lot of cases and, you know, we weren't able to like understand, you know, what, what each person was doing and, and it just took time and a lot of practice and a lot of space. And, uh, and, uh, you know, Galena doesn't tour anymore, uh, or at least not so much. And, uh, you know, she's in Europe now while I'm on this trip. But, uh, you know, we also did, like, you know, other music together. We, we, we did, uh, you know, mantras together and, uh, you know, sang and you know, play guitar and things like that. Uh, I think it tends to help whenever, um, you know, musicians or, uh, or whoever's playing has some kind of, like, shared language so they can understand each other. Uh, that's really, like, one of my interests at this point right now in terms of, uh, you know, teaching people. To, uh, you know, play in ensembles and, and uh, you know, play together. And, and, and uh, you know, I've learned, you know, different tricks over the years. Some, you know, Don Connor does a lot of different exercises with people. And uh, Mitchner does a lot of different exercises with, with, with people getting, uh, you know, everybody to the point where you can all be, be playing together. And, and uh, <clears throat> I've just always been, you know, kind of half improviser and half composer. And a lot of times in my trainings, especially whenever I was still trying to figure out like, how do you get everybody to play together at the same time. Uh, you know, I just hear all these happy accidents happening, you know, and, and maybe like one person didn't notice it because they were too close to their instrument uh, or they couldn't hear, you know, how the room was behaving. But so I started getting all these ideas about, uh, you know, what we could do to make it easier to collaborate, what we could do to make it easier to listen, uh, you know, having people not play. <laughs> I mean, that, that was like one of the, the things, you know, like I was touring with Galena in, uh, I think in 2018 and, and, you know, she, for a long time she was playing bowls on people's bodies and I was playing like the gongs and the instruments. So that was our concert for you know, a few years. And, uh, and she wanted to, she hadn't been touring for a little bit and she wanted to tour again and she wanted to do duets. And, uh, you know, I've been playing alone a lot, you know, playing this, like, whole orchestrated set, you know, by myself. And, 
you know, it took some time for sure. And, you know, I think that she got she got mad at me sometimes, <laughs> you know, not giving her space, and and, and and so like I started to like give her you know periods where like I just wasn't playing, um, you know. I, I you know, just taught a course called Gong Creations, and uh, which was all about having a gong ensemble. And, and uh, I tried to play as little as I could in that. And I, I think that was the lesson that I learned from playing with Galena. You know, or even if you look at like Miles Davis, you know, like Miles Davis would let like you know the the rest of the group you know kind of put down the body, and then like he would come in and just like you know he'd wait, he'd wait, he'd wait, and then he'd come in with you know just like the right sound. And, uh, you know, I like that idea now, you know, sort of like setting up musical situations where people can uh, sort of improvise within a certain structure or a certain context and then, um, you know, add into it. But, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to play with, um, you know, multiple musicians in, in, in the gong if you're not willing to, uh, you know, change and listen and, and, and grow and, and, and not play or learn how to play quietly. Uh, you know, these are all things that I've had to learn over the years. Um, you know, a lot of my music now is about control. I mean, you know, in terms of like my gong playing, you know, like I, if you if you hear me, I'm I'm probably one of the most controlled gong players in 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 the U.S. I'd say, uh, in terms of just like you know, how I develop my dynamics and you know, how I use mallets and. Um, you know, that's kind of, the gong can get loud, you know, it can get wild. And, and, and uh, you know, part of, I think, good gong playing is uh, you're taking your time and, and letting it unfold. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I think that uh, playing with others, it's, it's really about kind of, like, creating, like, a, a total soundscape, and it's really best to have, like, you know, like a total agreement in terms of like what that means and uh you know understanding the volume of your instrument understanding how that instrument is blending with other instruments um you know maybe having like a plan sometimes can help um and uh yeah i've been working with like plans a lot more recently whenever i'm playing with other people and you know it's like Gong is a musical instrument. I mean, a lot of people try to treat it like it's not, but um, you know, it certainly is. And, and, and you know, music is really powerful already. You know, I mean, it's. I think that um, I don't know. I had in my mind recently that like the concept of sound healing is kind of like violent against the power of music, in, like in terms of like saying that like only like you know these sounds are healing, or in this context, this is healing. Like I think that music has always been healing. And uh, I think that when we can look at, you know, the the how music has been over time and all the possibilities for, you know, what we've already explored with music, when we, we apply that to the telephones, you know, gongs, bells, bowls, um, it only makes it better. You know, knowing about intervals only makes things better. Um, you know, knowing how sounds behave together only makes things better. You know, understanding that every piece of music has a beginning and an end only makes things better. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm still figuring it out to make <laughs> a very wordy, uh, you know, explanation. But, um, you know, it's always the people that you're working with. Like, how well can you get along harmoniously? Mm -hmm. You know, Galena and I were married. And so, uh, you know, 
sometimes it was like, how well were we getting along in the band on the way to the concert right. <laughs> was, yeah. was how well we played together, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and I think that, um, you know, human relationships are, are, are really important in terms of, um, you know, the music that we create together. It's like mm-hmm. you, you create the music that you're creating with the person and it can only be with that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tend to be kind of assertive in, 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 in most cases and I'm trying to change that a little bit. I'm trying to become a better collaborator. Mm. Well, speaking of that, you know, you're part of your tour. You're heading in the direction of Connecticut, of course, which is the big collaboration and the big event, the Gong Summit. Coming up here very soon in July, um, that's going to be a, a big collaboration, and I'm very lucky to be able to attend. And you're going to be, oh, good. you'll be leading a master class as part of that. And uh, I know you have a big part of this all coming together. Can you talk a little bit about why the Gong Summit is happening, how it manifested, and I know it's kind of a long project. Yeah. In terms of my my connection to it, you know, I I have had uh, you know sort of an online relationship with Mitchner mm-hmm. over many years, and also like an online relationship with Michael Bettini over many years, and you know just you know was aware of you know I'd read like Sheila's books, Sheila Whitaker's books, and uh, you know certainly was aware of of, of um, John Zager's wonderful work, and and uh, haven't really. No, known sounds at all yet, but uh, but anyway, you know, like I, I was uh, I was on tour last year, and, and I was in Philadelphia, and, and I was in the Asian art exhibit, and I, I had this like really strong push that uh, that I was supposed to. I think that morning, like I saw that a space had opened up in Mitchner's Gong Camp, and uh, and I was walking around in, in the Philadelphia Museum of, of, of Art, and I, and I had this strong push, and I was just like, I'm supposed to do Gone Camp this year. Mm-hmm. It's really important. And uh, at that same time that I thought that, I felt my phone uh, vibrating in, in, my, in my pocket, and I looked at it. And uh, actually, no, I'd written, I'd written to Galena and told her this. And then, like, a few minutes later, uh, I was like, I think I was supposed to go to Gone Camp. And she was like, well, you'll have to be on the East Coast for another month. And I'd recently moved to the West Coast. I've actually hardly been on the West Coast since I moved there, but uh, I travel so much. But uh, then my phone was vibrating, and, and Mitch had written me, and he's like, I see you're going to be in Georgia. Do you want to stay at my house? And so uh, so that was my first time meeting him in person was um, last September, You know, even though I'd probably written or read almost everything he had written on, on the Internet. And uh, it's a super, super hot day. And uh, we're hanging out on his back porch, just talking about gongs and, and the history of you know how consciousness affects me, uh, uh, or, or how how we've understood how uh, music affects consciousness, rather, and and and, and history of music and you know the way he does things, the way I do things, and and, and I think that uh, you know it's really just a positive and, and kindred meeting. Uh, for me, and I, I feel like it really changed my life. To be honest with you, um, you know, he he's definitely much older than me, but I, I felt like I was kind of getting into things to a point where, um, you know, I hadn't found like a real peer mm. in a while, and 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 and, uh, and I felt that, you know, you know, in, in 
terms of like a colleague and, and you know, I, I was mature enough at, at this point in my life that where we met, where I was able to meet him as a friend and, and in a way where, you know, we weren't in competition with each other is like, you know, rivaling gong gangs or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, we just had like really open, open conversation about you know, what we loved and, uh, why we teach it and, and, and the best ways to teach it. And, and, uh, you know, even, even a lot of, uh, we had similar ideas about how, you know, some of the music industry was, uh, or, or rather the instrument industry was, you know, running things or telling people what the instruments do rather than, you know, musicians doing this. And, uh, you know, it was really, I think it was really beautiful. And I'm not sure if the seeds got planted, you know, for the summit then, but I, I, I think that, um, I feel like that meeting was really kind of monumental. And so then I went to, to Gong Camp the next month and uh, had a beautiful time with um, with Mitch and, and, and with everybody who was taking the course. I, I hadn't had an opportunity to take a course where I wasn't teaching for way too long. And, uh, you know, it was awesome because, like, you know, certain things like you know he would use uh like he never wants to use wheels on his stand because he could trip over wheels and i'm like you always have to use wheels because you have to move your stand all over the place you know just like like differences and, and, and it made me like just like much more open uh you know to, to not being like creating like a dogma around the around the gong which for some reason it seems like that's it's really easy and certainly i i, I probably have been guilty of, of creating some, some ritualistic dogma around the instrument myself over the years. Um, but I think to to have like a wide view, I think that's what Mitch and I really came up with. It's just like really, you know, we're probably, you know, go through that already, but like, you know, that's what we were like agreeing on. It's just like, it's good to have like a really wide view of this instrument. And, uh, you know, so... He may have been thinking about it before then, but, you know, he started talking with, with me, you know, shortly after that. And then I'd also gone and uh, played with Michael Bettine a few weeks later and, and I had met him. And, uh, man, that was that was beautiful and, and, and powerful for me. We, we just rented a room and just played together for a couple hours, set up, played together. I, you know, really admire him and, and I really admire Mitch. Uh, and I think Michael has just done so much for the gong. You know, I think it's just been really powerful uh, what he has shared with with the public, and 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 uh, I'm really grateful. You know, he has uh, the Art of the Gong blog, and uh, you know, he, he has tons and tons of YouTube videos, and uh, so it's really meaningful, like you know, to kind of, for me to connect with him. And and uh, I was telling Mitch, I was like, man, you know. Like, me, you, and Michael Bettine and Don Connor should get together. Just like talk some of this stuff out. You know, I feel like we're kind of like a lot of the main gone guys in the US, gone people. And uh, yeah, you know, I got back to Santa Cruz a few weeks later and, you know, he kept writing me, Mitch kept writing me and said, I got something brewing. I got something brewing. And, uh, and then, you know, he told us about it and, you know, I'm all in. So I think it's going to be a great opportunity, like to meet everybody. Um, you know, to to see you know how different people work with these instruments and how different people teach. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that 
you know, I, I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to be, Alina and I are, are breaking our master class in half. So I'll be teaching like a few hours and oh, she'll okay. be teaching a few hours. Yeah. And, uh, it's hard, really hard when we like have to talk on, on top of each other sure. or, or even like back and forth gets kind of hard. So mm-hmm. we're just kind of preparing our own little things and we'll interact in some ways, but I think that it's kind of our own little mini master classes within one master class. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm grateful that, uh, you know, I've been invited to do that and, uh, I'm grateful that, um, you know, I'm going to get to meet a lot of different people and, and uh, just hang out and talk about something that is you know, really powerful and really beautiful and, and seems to, culturally speaking, be having like an awakening. And that's something I talk a lot about is just like, you know, you know and, and Mitch is really good at putting you in the context of like, you know, understanding your place in the history of the gong. That's what he did for me and it kind of blew my mind in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, there's something really interesting happening right now culturally, uh, you know, definitely in the U.S. And, and, and I'd say also in the world where, like, you know, the gong is kind of like a new folk instrument. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and, and the concept of, of, of what music is, it's being remembered. That, you know, music is, you know, at, at the root something that stirs the soul and fills the body and the mind. And, uh, you know, so I, I think if we look at everything else that's happening culturally in, in, in our world right now, you know, it makes sense that an instrument of the gong would be like the new folk music mm. would be, you know, like I, I, I look back at like, you know, the 50s and, 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 and 60s and 70s, it's like everybody had like an acoustic guitar in their house. Mm. And some people were like John Fahey or Leo Kotke, you know, like they were just like amazing artists, you know, like they can make that, that instrument sing. Like nobody else, mm-hmm. you know, and then like a lot of people just like strum it every once in a while, you know, mm-hmm. mostly like sits in the corner. But uh, I feel like the gong is sort of having that experience now where it's, it's you know, everybody's getting a gong. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, or like, what does it mean? You know, like, how do we, uh, is this something that we should in some way, um, you know, talk about? I mean, I guess that was like the idea. Should we talk about this? Like, right. what's happening? You know, it's like, um, for me, like what I see, I mean, you know, I'm teaching a lot of adults, I'm teaching a lot of women, I'm teaching a lot of people who, um, you know, it's their first instrument, like their introduction to music. A lot of people that I'm, uh, that I'm meeting, um, you know, always wanted to play an instrument, but were told they weren't musical or that they couldn't carry a tune. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of people being like really empowered by this instrument, you know, awakening to, uh, to creativity, awakening to um, communicating in different ways, uh, awakening to self-healing. It's beautiful. I mean, like I, I realized, this, you know, a few years ago, that, like I really, I don't really find like great interest in teaching like protocols. <laughs> But like my my interest is like you know really like you know, teaching you know music and 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 in uh, consciousness together like how is this changing the musicians like I I, I want to kind of like create a, a space where it's like I empower the musician to the point where they can make all these choices you know in terms of what they do when 
One is the right time to get loud. One is the right time to be soft. What kind of, you know, attack do they want on their instrument? What kind of dynamics do they want? What kind of tonalities? You know, if I can create a space where, like, you know, they're empowered enough to be able to do that, then, you know, it's, it's more like beautiful songs are being created in the moment rather than, like, protocols. And, and that's a little bit more my interest. And, uh, and that's different than a lot of people, but... Um, but I think it's all okay. You know, people need protocols. There are other teachers doing that, you know, as we'll see. Um, so, you know, the Gong Summit is, is, you know, I think just going to be a, a beautiful gathering. And, and, uh, and we're going to talk about, you know, kind of collectively, you know, what, what, what's happening. And, you know, if we should have, like, a body of ethics that, that maybe follows what we're doing. And, and uh, if we need to organize, uh you know, in, in, in case somebody like you know tries to attack this as like a you know modality of, of, of healing or you know, whatever garbage the government wants to try to put on us, or uh, or if it's important that we actually get some you know some, some constants that like we all know this, you know. I mean, if our, if it were up to me, like everybody would get a little bit of physics training, everybody would get music theory training. Everybody would, uh, you know, have to do some type of like breathing exercise. Everybody would have a movement practice. Everybody would have to practice being compassionate and kind. Uh, you know, everybody would like should listen to like other pieces of music other than what they're playing. Um, yeah, that's like, kind of just like the life of like you know study and exploration is, is you know, I think what I've lived and, and, and what I suggest. Um, and I'm sure, you know, different people are going to have different suggestions at the summit. And uh, and so we'll, we'll see what that's about. I, mean, I think it's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to um, everyone's class. And it's kind of interesting how it's been, like, rolling out. And, you know, like, because they're, you know, making a poster for, like, you know, kind of every person who's who's going that's like kind of like a gong star. And, and uh, you know, it's, 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 it's I'm just wondering how we're all going to, you know, get along. And right. <laughs> hoping to give hug, hugs and high fives. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, hoping that uh, you know it's just going to really broaden the broaden the field. And, and uh, you know, Mitch always says that, uh, or he tells me that you know, Alf Robbie says that the uh, key to happiness is, is being certain and having having more certainty. And uh, you know, I think that'll be, I think that'll be good. I think that this will you know, create more certainty in, in a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I always joke, and I mean, I say this all the time, so it's almost like redundant, but like my, my little dog, his name is Eno. Um, if he's in the gong room, like he'll come up and he'll, he'll stand next to the gong and he'll hit it with his tail, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it, it sounds good. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it, it could be better, you know? Yeah. It, 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 and I think that, you know, certainly like the gong is something that as soon as you strike it or, you know, caress it or excite it or rub it or, you know, whatever you do, as soon as you make connection, um, you know, sound is produced. And, 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 and so, you know, but beyond that, you know, what kind of guidance does one need? Mm. It's an interesting question. And, uh, you know, myself, it's just kept flowering over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, it changes the deeper it gets. Yeah, and I think one of the the most important things for me is somebody that's going to attend the the gong summit 
is that there are going to be that many different approaches. There's going to be that many different um, techniques explored, all these different uh, people that have explored so deeply that I, I would think as an attendee and even um, one of the teachers and facilitators is just being open, being open and allowing and um, just absorbing all that, that information and energy together um, that I think I would imagine by the end that there's just this collective energy of enthusiasm that's going to, who knows what it's going to propel afterwards. So it's very yeah, exciting. I mean, I, I hope it makes a lot of bands, but like that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's me. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's going to be amazing. And, and I think that, um, I mean, it's kind of, you know, like an interesting thing, you know, like uh, there are some students who have, uh, or learners rather, uh, some learners have, have come and you know, studied some with me and like with Mitch and you know, with Don Conroe and, and uh, you know we all do our things differently and and, mm-hmm. um, and some people are like oh god like but they do it like this and I'm like that's okay you know like you can still do it like that and they're like well what do you mean you said it was like this and, and yeah. uh, you know I, I look at you know I mean if you look at like the guitar you know like there's a lot of different ways to approach the guitar. You know, some people finger pick it, some, and only finger pick it. Some people only play electric. Some people play acoustic. You know, some people play cheap guitars. Some people play expensive guitars. Some people, you know, other guitars on fire. Some people play with mm-hmm. Evos. You know, like there's like nobody that's like getting around like saying like you can't do that to a guitar. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and and so I think it's uh, it's often you know people have like thought that like because we're teaching different things or you're not on the same page, but I think like all of us love love the gong, you know, and, right. and and all of us have done our, our best to, uh, you know, share that love in the best way we can, and 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 to inspire and to um, you know, create clarity, and uh, you know, and that that's I think you know what every person that I know who's teaching the gong and is is really doing, and and uh, especially the people who are going to be there, um, you know, so I think it'll be good to to show us. Or to give us a space to all be together and meet, and uh, you know, clear the air mm-hmm. if any air needs clearing, and uh, mm-hmm. and make friends, and uh, really to understand who our who our peers are right now. Yeah. Right. Well, for those listening, maybe that aren't going to the Gong Summit. Um, that want to follow what you're doing on your tour, what you have coming up next. What's the best way to to keep up to what what you're doing? I just started. Put, oh yeah, thank you. Uh, I just started putting together a new webpage, which is um, soundseternal.com. www.soundseternal.com. Uh, so my tour dates are there. I try to keep up on uh, Instagram. My Instagram is uh, Mike underscore Tamburo, and um, and then my uh, Facebook page is um, Mike Tamburo Sounds Eternal. Uh, and then I, there's also, I try to post things on the Crown Attorney page, which is uh, the do I have with my life. Um, so sometimes I keep that updated as well. But I'd, I'd say that uh, the, the Sounds Eternal page is probably the most up-to-date. Okay. Well, great. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to me ramble on and on. And uh, <laughs> I hope that it was uh, 
a good experience for you all and, and uh, that people get to, you know, really take time to listen and, and you know, feel the effect of, of what they're doing and, and, and see where it takes their mind and, and just, you know, have you know, deep experiences with music. I, I think it's just you know, such a wonderful, wonderful thing that humans have, have brought together and you know, created together. So I'm, I'm grateful to you for, uh, for having me on the show and, and yeah. I'm grateful for the listeners. Yeah, and thank you for, for helping us all go deeper into our understandings of of I think listening, listening and our understanding of of music. So thank you so much, and I'll see you at the Gong Summit. All right, looking forward to it. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Sounds Heal Podcast. You could keep up to date by going to soundshealstudio.com on Facebook, Sounds Heal Studio. You can listen to new music and podcasts monthly on YouTube, Sounds Heal Studio, Natalie Brown. Be well and stay tuned.